With a strong, swift thrust, J.R. handed out the last of his 3,300 leather-bound books at the famous erotica convention held in Los Angeles, a consumer's paradise for porn addicts. The interesting thing is this leather-bound book handed out by J.R. was no ordinary portfolio packed with salacious pictures or perverted how-to sex manuals. It was a Bible with the words, Jesus loves porn stars emblazoned on the cover. That's right, a Bible. You see, J.R. is no ordinary guy. He is a pastor who is on the cutting edge of in-your-face evangelism, who is willing, prayerfully of course, to make the sacrifice of entering even the tawdry world of porn to snatch sinners for Jesus. On this edition of Sinners and Saints, we're calling you away from your quiet times and your prayer fasts to catch you up to date on a late-breaking mission trip opportunity. So stay tuned with us on Sinners and Saints as we explore a steaming hot opportunity for summer evangelism. In an age of moral bankruptcy, political sleaze, theological confusion, and aimless religion in a mindless church, we're addressing the need for a Bible-based, intellectually rigorous 21st century Christian faith. This is Sinners and Saints, theology with an edge. Hey, thanks for joining us on Sinners and Saints today. As usual, joining our discussion is Reverend Moses Jambazian from Pasadena United Reformed Church and Reverend Adam Kalushin from Ontario United Reformed Church. And I'm John Sautel, pastor of All Saints Reformed Church. And today we're talking about, does Jesus love porn stars? Well, not exactly that, but somewhere along that line, maybe it's good to set this up for a moment because in the introduction we alluded to this guy named J.R. who happens to be a pastor who ends up at a porn convention handing out Bibles. And this has been in the news somewhat, if you're paying attention. Uh, how it came into the news is one of the Bible societies that was contracted to uh, basically to translate and print up these Bibles refused to when they found out what what these Bibles were being used for. On the cover of it was the title, Jesus Loves Porn Stars, but the Bibles were being used to be distributed inside porn conventions uh, by this pastor who's uh, notably of a what's called triplexchurch.com or something like that. And it brings us into the whole topic of, <laughs> I suppose, evangelism. Uh, it also obviously brings us into the topic of how do we deal with porn, uh, both in our church and even how do we address people in the outside world with it. And this is their novel idea. Now, God, I hand it to them. It's fairly creative. It's very provocative, very confrontational, very in your face. But we should at least evaluate it. Is this something that the church should be doing? Well, there's a few problems that we do have to look at. But let's look at, number one, the things that we do or we can affirm. Number one, we do affirm that the gospel should be taken to everyone. And so we certainly have no problems with the fact that he understands that these people are as much in need of hearing the gospel as anyone else. And that that's a wonderful idea. And we certainly don't want to belittle the attempt to reach people by, you know, somewhat novel means, if you will, at least getting to them so they can be asked to come to the church. The problem that we have is that we again have something where the the gimmick or the style is beginning to take control over the substance. And so as we critique some of the things this man has done, you'll start noticing that it's no longer 
uh, a person who is convinced of the value of the gospel, who is doing everything to see that the gospel is presented, but we really have crossed the line into casting pearls before swine. The methodology used and the way he's trying to do it, I think, completely screws up the message. Well, well, I mean, the question is not should we evangelize porn stars, because Moses said the answer is yes, we should be evangelizing everyone, but the question I have is, well, why or what is the basis for singling out porn stars, A, and B, what is the message or what is the means by which we are using to target this particular audience? And on both of those questions, this is where I have a problem with this approach. I mean, I just, using my sanctified common sense, obviously a red flag goes up when you have someone targeting such a graphic, uh, a graphically disobedient and vile group of people such as porn stars and the you know people that are behind it funding that industry and i'm saying that because he's not just going out talking to his neighbors who are porn stars but he's going to the porn star convention right. let me give you the justification for it here the guy says because i've heard some interviews with him and i've seen some of the stuff he's that's been at least written about him in interviews and so forth and he says well you know jesus hung out with prostitutes Jesus hung out with drunkards and idolaters. Why can't I hang out, hang out with uh, pornographers? Well, because I don't think that the Scripture tells us that Jesus went to the brothels and spent all of his time evangelizing in the brothel. I mean, there's a difference between Jesus coming to know people who are the most disobedient and the most, you know, graphically sinful in the community in the course of getting to know people as he's interacting, walking around in the streets, in the town halls, wherever people are gathering, and these people are among other people in the society. But I don't think Jesus was exclusively known for preaching and teaching only to these people. He befriended the uh, disobedient when they would come in repentance and faith to hear him. And he did not, you know, cast them out because they were outcast themselves in the society. But that's different from what this guy's doing. Well, also, he's also, Jesus never targeted his ministry like that, where he would say, okay, you know, this is going to be the gospel to the prostitutes, the gospel to the tax gatherers. It was always the same gospel message, which was the freedom that comes through the redemption okay. that uh, he's preaching. Let me see if I can approach the, that idea from another angle. This is what they're going to argue. They said, well, okay, fine. But in today, at least in North American context— it seems as if pornography has become the taboo. Churches have ministries to people who are on drugs and alcohol and for, you know, whatever else. But this is the one big taboo, this and maybe even homosexuality, to a lesser extent maybe that's not as big anymore. But they would say this, is, this has become so intentionally set off uh, outside the bounds by the church that nobody's talking to them. So you almost have to be intentional I, I don't, how you I don't, go about I it. I don't know if I agree with that. What The churches that I'm aware of talk about pornography. <laughs> we preach about pornography from the pulpit in, in all three of our churches. I know I've heard that we've mentioned things. I don't understand... What what does that mean that these people are not being that it's so taboo that it's people aren't being approached? I mean, maybe you can help me understand what he's saying because here's here's the thing: pornography is taboo, and it's because it is disgusting and destructive, and it should you know it's not cool that somebody goes to engage you know the porn community. It's it's scary, and it's very pow- that is a very a powerful temptation and sin in the lives of a lot of God's people. Mm-hmm. And to sensationalize it, I mean, I almost get the impression that, oh, look at, and because it's taboo, that's why we're doing it, because oh, we want to yeah. shake people up by showing them that, 
we're going to this porn convention to get the gospel to these well, sure. pornographers. Obviously, it has all the appearances of being this, we're cool, we're on the cutting edge, just as how extreme we're willing to be. I'm just presenting from their oh, angle. I'm just saying this is right. taboo. I mean, okay, let's just say it is stupid, let's say, and it's over the top. And it's dramatizing something that's. I mean, I how do we say, go John, about? Listen, how would, I would you go? E- I would even say that look, if for some reason, maybe this guy had some friends or neighbors that he came to find out as a Christian guy, or some guy that was attending his church it. that was like into okay. the porn industry, and then somehow okay. they maybe invited him to come speak to some of his friends, or hey, maybe you could have a presence at the convention right. or whatever. But see, I would never expect to hear about that. See, this is the other thing. Why am I reading about this? Why am I hearing about this? Because it's so sensational. Why is he like blowing this up and planning a, a website so everybody can come and see all this this ministry that he's doing to pornographers? This is the kind of thing that, if there is indeed a legitimate calling for him to be engaging at this, you know, close of a level with these kind of people, then he should do it quietly, and it shouldn't be advertised. Okay. Well, here's what he says: Churches in the past have been accepting of drug abuse, alcohol abuse, and of these types of addictions, but porn in the church is like the scarlet letter on you. We hope it follows, it allows people to discuss it in a graceful, non-threatening way. Okay, this is totally different things. In the one case, he's saying, I am going to the porn convention to hand out these Bibles. On the other, he's saying, by doing this, we can now discuss porn addiction in the church. Those are two different things. If you want to discuss those things, if you want to confront your people about them, read the law of God, which makes it very clear lustful thoughts are even prohibited by God. And you've already begun the discussion. You don't need to do these other sensational and I don't, things. And I don't it. even know that this idea that it's not talked about even at all. There are plenty of resources for Christian people who are struggling with porn addiction. I mean, there are a number of groups, accountability groups. Sometimes even churches will have them on a local level. Resources to help people with all kinds of sexual addiction. This I, I don't know that... Uh, Porn is taboo in the sense that he maybe is saying that it is. Well, based upon the so-called results at this, I, I don't see this kind of tactic disappearing anytime soon. Apparently, um, what he was greeted with were double takes, but people who, who basically open-handedly accepted these Bibles, they passed out all of their Bibles on the first of the three-day show uh, very quickly. I guess I'm wondering what kind of a person is going to accept that and read it, and <laughs> are they in the right state of mind even to take that Bible and, and read it and profit from it? Well, this goes back to what we said earlier. Jesus' is warning, don't cast your pearls before swine. Jesus is warning us there are times when it is inappropriate to continue discussing the gospel or seeking to evangelize because you're dealing with people who are hardened, who are unable and unwilling to hear, and they will actually wind up destroying that which you are doing. And so we're given this caution to exercise wisdom. A lot of these guys, if if this is a Bible that says Jesus loves porn stars across the cover, I'm guessing that a lot of it was taken for novelty effect, something yeah. that you can show to your friends and laugh. Like It's not for actual reading. But supposing even a few people did read it, that would be wonderful. But this is what we would say is the unusual or extraordinary ways that God does things. It's not what we want to see done normally. God has given us the church, and he expects the church to preach the gospel, and to do these other gimmicks and then find one person who somehow was won over to Christ, if we'll use that language. It legitimizes it. Yeah. yeah, I don't think that is legitimate at all. Well, this is to bring me down to a couple of principal issues here before we move on to discuss this from a different angle. But uh, one of the questions I would have is this. Does God 
put you in places where you are most likely to sin from a human perspective and expect you to evangelize under those circumstances. This is because this is obviously I don't know how you're going to go in here as a guy and uh, be pure. Right. The biblical expression, bad company corrupts good morals, could not be more <laughs> forefront in my mind of thinking about somebody going to a porn convention to supposedly evangelize. Although, on the other hand, you have to be careful because you don't want to project, you know, a, a person wouldn't want to project their own weaknesses, their sinful weaknesses and temptations on somebody else. I mean, maybe this guy has extraordinary, you know, grace in his life so that he is not sexually tempted at all when he walks into a porn convention and you have, you know, loose men and women, you know, just right there in front of you all. I mean, I maybe that's his situation. So I but I do think again, even if that were true, for the average uh man or woman in the Christian community, uh that is a real temptation, sexual thoughts, words and actions, and then therefore to publicize and sensationalize this kind of work even causes them to be thinking about something that is not they don't need to be thinking about any more than they already do and are fighting it. Well, it's this uh, evangelism at all cost mentality. I want us to probe a minute here. I mean, does God really expect you to put yourself into a circumstance where you are most likely, where you're more than likely going to sin because of the environment you're in, just because, hey, we've got to pursue the Great Commission? Well, the answer to that is obviously no. I mean, there's no way that God wants you to go to those places that are going to cause you to stumble. And there are several things about this that we haven't covered yet as to the kind of booth they set up. Uh, what was the reports on that one as to... Well, apparently they-, they set up a 25-foot-long phallus symbol to attract people to the booth. Yeah, see, and that goes back to the second thing that, that is the major problem that we have with this is the whole bait-and-switch idea that basically the church is selling the gospel. You know, we don't want to preach the law. We don't want to preach the gospel. So instead what we're going to do is put up a big phallic symbol at the porn convention to sneak the Bible in the person's hand when they walk by the booth, and then hopefully God will work through that. This is... <laughs> the, the law and the gospel are powerful enough. We don't need to cheapen them by identifying them with a, a grotesque and and really following after the pattern of the ungodly world uh, symbol of sexuality. Yeah, this is the same thing that we see throughout churches everywhere, where this, we don't believe that the gospel itself, that what promises life everlasting and freedom from the sins that we suffer through is good enough. And so we have to add something to it. And so we have, I would say if you go and survey churches, there's probably hundreds of different ways that people try to get people into the church, whether it's, you know, picnics, uh, free breakfasts, uh, basketball, volleyball, aerobics, like anything to convince people to come and show up. Movie nights is another one where you're just trying to get people there. And then after they're there for the event that you've advertised, then you try to sneak in a little bit of Bible. And this is the same thing going on here where you don't believe the power of the gospel is sufficient to save. And so you have to discount it and do a bait and switch. Yeah, it basically gives the impression that you have to put honey on the gospel because it's a bitter pill to swallow. And the fact of the matter is it's the instrument of truth that God uses to uh, bring conversion, regeneration to the life of, of people. But, you know, you're on to something here. You know, we can sit here and criticize this, and I, I think it's proper for us. It's, this is clearly unwise, 
uh, maybe even bordering on just flat out sinful and disobedient to God to go into these kinds of places. I mean, it'd be one thing perhaps to stand outside of it and to pass out, you know, tracts or Bibles, and even that seems to me, uh, you know, basically casting pearls before swine, because you know people are going in there with the clear intention of, you know, for whatever freaky reasons they go to these. So I think even that probably, it seems to me, is casting pearls before swine. But you have to remember, this is in the broader environment out there. This is this whole concept of evangelism in the 20th century was boiled down to this. You know, whether it's juggling acts or concerts, you know, miming or what, whatever, this is what's in the air. And we have to get to this question. Is that what constitutes biblical evangelism? Find no. a niche, what people like, carve it out, and then give, put the gospel inside of it. No, and we've talked about this before, because not only is that not the means that the Scripture commands us to reach the unbelieving, which is by building relationships, meaningful relationships, and showing people love and compassion and bringing them to church to partake in the means of grace. Not only that, but it really trivializes and waters down the message of the gospel. Because the reason why people attach all of these gimmicks to the gospel is because they think that the gospel is weak. At the end of the day, what really matters, what's really exciting, what really gets people going, the power is in the earthly things that I see and feel and smell and touch and taste. It's not, it can't be in that boring message. And we have to spice it up with the things that really mean something where there's thousands of people at a crusade in a stadium, where there's fireworks and music that will get people attracted, that will uh, get the kids excited. I mean, it is cheapening the, the message of the gospel where the real power is. You also have another problem, I think, and that is sending too many people out to do what's called you know, missions, where you send out junior hires and high schoolers. And the idea is always, look, we are exposing them to these things so they'll be excited about it. They'll come back, change people. But missions is meant for publishing the gospel, for preaching it to the ends of the earth. It is not for the benefit of the missionary, though the missionary will incidentally receive benefits, of course, as he's being sanctified through the means of grace, as he's doing his work. God blesses him. But when that becomes the main intention... You have now released all these people out there who are untrained, unqualified, and putting them in a situation they are not really fit or safe to be in. And of course, that's when you bring in all the gimmicks that you know from your normal life, as opposed to the trained mind of a trained minister or missionary. Right. So a youth group sends down, you know, 20 teenagers to lead a vacation Bible school for one week in a poor city in Mexico and believes that they're doing the work of evangelism and missions. And usually it's not connected with any sort of solid, true, vibrant ministry that is year-round down in the church where they're going. It's just something that they go do once a year to hand out toothbrushes, and all the citizens are so excited because the uh, the white people are coming. Well, I mean, look, again, there may be some value in sending our kids to other parts of the world to learn how the rest of the world lives. But we shouldn't call it evangelism and missions is the point. We shouldn't bring our games to people and think that that's bringing the and gospel. Besides that, that if, a, if a parent wants to do that, that's one thing. But the church has no business sponsoring that. It's not the duty of the church to uh, bring introduce the children to different cultures and ways of living. That's that's called education. That's a parental duty and responsibility. But I, I think it's something is important to clarify, too, here. Typically, or historically, let's say classically, the Reformed Church has basically said that missions is the preaching of the Word, and it requires an ordained person who has been 
uh, educated, tested, approved, ordained, and sent. All those things are lacking in this, you know, hit and run evangelism model where we find some catchy new uh, trend and send them off somewhere. Whether it's to erotica or Mexico, it doesn't matter. It's the same thing. That's right. But we don't even believe that in the United States, let alone in the foreign mission field or whatever. I mean, (laughs) today evangelism is merely everybody going out and talking to everybody they know about everything they know about the Bible and whatever gimmicks you have to use to get that foothold you use. Whereas we're saying, no, remember, you build relationships, you bring people into the church where the means of grace are found, the preaching of the word and the sacraments and the oversight of the elders. If this sounds radical to you, think about this for a moment. You say that you're a Christian and that you believe in Trinitarian orthodoxy and in the work of Christ on the cross. Well, every one of these things has been theologically defined where we have had the old bishops of the church and then, of course, the Reformed ministers gathering together and working these out in detail and looking at all the errors that have come in. This is a specialist's work. Your duty is to bring people into the specialists so that they can hear the gospel rightly preached and they can have their confusions corrected. A simple example would be, you want to see people who have broken arms or who are bleeding to get proper treatment. You don't go in and operate on them yourself. You get them to the emergency room where the professionals are. You have to think of it that way. And to send out somebody and say, well, now we want you to perform the surgery, you're basically setting that person up for failure and then for a lifetime of regret at the harm that they've caused when they were seeking to do good. And it's no different in this case. Yeah, it's like sending somebody out with a rusty knife and uh, a pocket full of bandages and expecting them to perform major surgery on somebody and do it well and successfully. It's a good analogy. Basically, all you res- what you're responsible to do as a Christian is to pray for these people and then maybe offer and um, draw them into some conversation at a basic level to introduce them some basic concepts and then bring them to church and pray that the Holy Spirit will use this kind of thing. Um, or show the genuine fruits of Christian maturity. By so your that walk. These, yeah, and yeah. let these people know you as a different person so that you have credibility with them and you can say, you know what, I would like you to come and hear the gospel preached at my church and have them come because they see that you are different, that you are actually a person who loves, forgives, serves, helps the poor, the widow, the orphan, rather than being the one who does this, you know, almost like an ambush evangelism. You go down somewhere and then you come from a position of strength. You try to wow and impress these people and then you're gone with no secondary effects. You're not even sticking around to see what the results are going to be. And you bring it back to the issue we started with, which is, you know, pornography and people who are addicted to this perverted garbage. You know, somebody like that is going to, if they see your life over a period of time, you don't have to, like, try to outrace God here. Spend some time around him. Be a normal person. Uh Love your wife and your family, or if you're single, just be a normal person around them. And in time, you may have the opportunity to sit down and talk with them about the gospel. But shoving a Bible under their grill saying Jesus loves porn stars seems to me uh, not only foolish, but very unlikely to succeed. And along these lines, I want to address the issue of, because this is not the only kind of thing that this outfit does to go to porn conventions inside and hand out Bibles, but... The whole premise of this so-called ministry is that there are so many people out there addicted to this, even in the churches, that we have to be edgy and confrontational and cutting edge in how we go about bringing up the topic and then getting churches to talk about it. Um, One of the proposals uh, is to have a day. It's called National Porn Sunday. 
<laughs> where the church advertised. But basically, if you pay this this outfit fifteen hundred dollars, they send you a big media kit and a way to promote this, and you have discussion points and a sermon and all this stuff on it. And then afterward, you break out into small groups and you talk about how it makes you feel, and you know, supposedly get honest about your addictions with these people. What do you think of the concept, however? If it really is that big a deal in the churches, is that the way to go about handling the issue of, you know, being addicted to pornography? Okay, so how do we deal with the problem of pornography among Christians? It's, it's well, worthwhile to know, talk for, about for a moment, I suppose. Yeah, well, yeah. Very, sure it is. And the answer is you preach the law and the gospel, and if people have personal and private struggles with that sin, then you give them personal and private counseling and support. You do not... Make it a public thing. I, this is the problem. You see, sin in the church spreads like cancer. Mm-hmm. And the self-justifying nature of the fallen human race is, well, if well, if he has a problem with pornography, and it seems like a lot of people have a porno- problem with pornography, then maybe I can just continue to go along struggling with it, and it won't be a, a big problem. We all kind of are in the pornography club. I mean, the, the idea is that you have to be extremely careful about how you talk about specific sin and even share your own personal sins in the broader church context because sin is very powerful, unfortunately. And our fallen, uh, our fallen condition is such that we are always prone toward making excuses and compromising, so we have to handle these things with great care. We don't broadcast this like it's something to be proud of. I mean, there's something to be said for being ashamed of, of these kind of struggles in the Christian, you know, being saddened and downcast that we are, you know, if I'm struggling with that, grieving the spirit mm-hmm. by this kind of behavior. And it's fitting to maybe share with my pastor or maybe someone who is an elder in the church, seasoned and mature, or get help from a professional counselor as opposed to making this a parade in the church. We're also, you know, open about all the, the struggles that we have. Well, the other problem is you get the false positives. Anytime you do a program that you are pushing a particular thing, somebody had better come up and confess that they're addicted <laughs> to porn. So now you start putting pressure on people to start confessing things that they may not be doing. In fact, I've been part of these things where they say, okay, you know what? When we do the campfire and we're calling people to repent, if no one's doing anything, some of your counts, some of the counselors, the counselors out there, are appointed to go. Should, yeah, yeah exactly. you should go up and do it so that others don't feel awkward being the first one to go up. And so they so, they stuff their shorts full of uh, pornography magazines and you know their rock tapes, and they go forward and they're the first ones that throw these in the yeah. fire. And, and so burn you've them got up. this whole setup now where you have to have people start feeling outwardly guilty for stuff that they haven't done to try to convince the ones who are guilty right. because right. you know we're sanctified, mm-hmm. so we just have to lead them. Right. And besides which, yeah. And besides, what about the people who? really are not they don't even know what pornography really is and you say oh who could be like that well you know there are christian people yeah there's a lot of young people who are going to be they have their interest peaked in this yeah and the parents have done a good job in shielding their children from this kind of thing they're very careful about the television they're very careful about you know what they hear in the schooling and whatnot and now you introduce this program Mm -hmm. where the in thing as a church is to address this pornography problem well you know, you got to be careful that you're not introducing sin into the community. Now, the, the objection to that is, well, but there. Are, let's just be honest. There are a lot of people who are struggling with it, and sometimes we have to, you know, we always have this problem. Well, the answer there is the Scripture does talk about sex. So when you take a biblical approach to sex, I feel free, you know, teaching that within the community, warning children and, and young men, for example, against the sin of adultery 
and look out. But that doesn't mean you talk about specific forms of pornography and temptations. I mean, the Holy Spirit will be able to apply the general principles. Nor do you even go into the gory details of the act itself and make it turn the sermon into a how-to manual to make sure that it's profitable and enjoyable to the other partner either. The Scripture is explicit enough and is powerful enough to address these issues, no matter how they're expressed in the perverse way in our particular society and culture to the mind of the church, and you don't need to say more. In fact, it is not prudent to go beyond that Mm -hmm. because you may just be inciting sin. And let's also be really careful not to have, like, a sin be the theme of the church because all that is condemned in the law is sinful, and all believers are struggling with different points of the law every day of their lives. And so to make this the sin, and then, of course, in a few months it'll be something else, and for different churches— Will you know, like one church will have the sin being only abortion. That's all you ever talk about to others. It's all environmentalism. Now you have all pornography. What you wind up with is a very truncated view of sin. And so it becomes, if I can overcome this one, then, you know, the rest of them are petty in comparison because the church doesn't think it's important enough to talk about. So I'm not going to worry about it either. And wrapping all this up, I think it's fair to say without denying the importance of evangelism and without denying... uh, the fact that the gospel is powerful, even powerful enough uh, to convert uh, pornographers and those who are addicted to it. We think that this approach is seriously flawed and perhaps even deeply sinful. We don't want to give Christians the impression that Christ expects you to throw yourself into the midst of sin and into places where you're going to be vulnerable spiritually and even be trapped and ensnared Uh, and enslaved and sing yourself to present the gospel is required of you, because it's not. What Christ requires of you is to live an upright, obedient life, to give glory to him by living in obedience to his law through the power of the Holy Spirit, through his grace, prayerfully trying to take opportunities to testify to your friends, neighbors, and family members about Christ. That's what's expected of you. No heroics, no gimmicks, no uh, dramatic... uh, opportunities where you're going out to you know to to pull crazy stunts just simple ordinary basic biblical responses to the unbelieving world is what's required of you we want to thank you for joining us on sinners and saints join us next week as we tackle more topics with the truth of god's word on sinners and saints theology with an edge for more information call 866-99-UNITED or log on to the web at urcsocal.org. That's 866-99-UNITED.